Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. And happy Friday the 13th. Quick announcement. If you're listening to this today on Friday the 13th, release day, we're having a movie night tonight with our Patreon supporters. And of course, we're watching Friday the 13th. We're going to do a double feature to accommodate the different time zones. So at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that's New York time, 6 p.m. Pacific, we're going to be watching the original 1980 movie. And then to help out our West Coast friends, we're going to be watching the 2009 remake at midnight New York time, 9 p.m. Pacific. If you're already a member of the Patreon, then you've got an email in your inbox explaining how the movie night's going to work. If you're not a patron yet, sign up and join in on the fun. There's going to be a link down in the show notes. We really hope to see you there. And of course, speaking of our Patreon supporters, we want to thank our new patrons, Patrick Yingling, Amy Harper, Mitch Garrods, Fanny Garcia, McCrums, and Anton Madison. We couldn't do this without you. In addition to movie nights, our patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. There's a lot going on in the Discord. We used to try and give you some highlights, but there's just too much going on now. So if you want to jump in on the movie nights, the chats with us and with other listeners, sign up to the Patreon, join the Discord, and dive in. Patrons also get bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Different tiers get merch like stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. Sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. Another announcement. Back in March, I told you about another project that we were working on at Imaginary Comma, and some personal things have come up, and that's meant that we're sidelining that project for now. But it will still be coming in the future. What does that mean for 13? Among other things, it means that for the last couple months, I've gotten back into writing 13 stories, and I can't wait to share them with you. The first one will be today. I won't be able to write as much as I did in that first year of the show, but you will see stories from me, from the other members of the Imaginary Comma team, mixed in with the submissions on the 13 feed. One more thing before we get into the story, we want to tell you about another audio drama podcast called Someone Dies in This Elevator. Someone Dies in This Elevator is a series of standalone stories. There's always an elevator, and someone always dies in it, but everything else is different. I absolutely love the premise of this show, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly so far, and I think you will too. You'll also hear some familiar voices from 13 episodes in the past. Again, it's Someone Dies in This Elevator. Give them a listen. If you like what you hear, drop them a five-star rating and review. Look for a link in the show notes. Last thing before we get to the show, a while back we mentioned that we have content warnings at the very bottom of the show notes, so we put them down there so that they're easy to avoid if you don't like the spoilers that can sometimes come with it, but also they're easy to find. If you want to see them, you can scroll right down there to them. Today's episode has some really heavy elements of grief and loss, and it's also not safe for work, so just a heads up there. All right, I am done with the opening credits. We are ready to go. On with the show. We moved into our new house a few weeks ago. Me, my fiancé, and her daughter. It's a nice place in one of those older first-generation suburbs, the kind of neighborhoods that were still built for walking. Front porches that come right up to the sidewalk, corner stores, playgrounds, community centers. There were a lot of kids in this neighborhood, too, and that was a big deal for us. 
The last place we lived was mostly older couples whose kids were grown, so my soon-to-be stepdaughter didn't have anyone to play with in the old neighborhood. That would definitely change. My fiancé and I had been talking about buying our first house, but when we looked at the places available in the kinds of neighborhoods where we wanted to live, well, we were going to need to save up a little bit more. So, here we are, hopefully in the last house we'll ever rent. It had just the right amount of space. It felt cozy but not cramped. A big remodeled kitchen with a center island and tons of counter space. A big picture window in the living room and in our daughter's room upstairs. And best of all, a fenced-in backyard for the dog and a patio with built-in bench seating. Perfect for entertaining. We'd barely arrived and the dog was already digging around the shed, exploring the yard, staking claim. I was so happy to be taking this step, our first real place together, but I couldn't escape the feeling that this was all so familiar. I've lived my life twice, at least it feels that way. This is actually my second marriage and my second family. My first one ended abruptly and tragically a few years ago. My wife and kids were going to visit her parents for the weekend. A semi-truck crossed the yellow line and hit my wife's car head-on. And that was that. A few years later, after I was through the worst of the grief, I met a friend of a friend at a going-away party. We hit it off and started hanging out. She was a single mom with a daughter. Her ex was out of the picture and things were going really well. But my emotions got complicated. If things got more serious, if I started a new family, what did that mean for my old family? It felt like a betrayal, like I was disrespecting them, like I didn't love them enough anymore. I don't know how any of this is supposed to work. And most of all, I didn't know how I was supposed to talk about my first family and what they meant to me with the new woman in my life. But I finally did, and she was really understanding. It's not as though it were a secret. She knew about my past. She never asked me to give up the rituals that kept me feeling connected to my first wife and my two daughters. Eventually, she started coming with me on my weekly trips to put new flowers down at the cemetery. She learned the birthdays of my first wife and my girls. She always checked in when those dates were getting close. She never showed any hint of jealousy or annoyance that I missed them. And I did miss them. I missed them all the time. It's one thing when you fall out of love with someone and you miss what you used to have. It's another thing altogether when the person you love is taken away from you. My new fiancé's daughter was about the same age that my girls would have been if they were still here. And, as I became more of a father figure in her life, it was never lost on me that every new milestone she reached, learning to tie her shoes, riding a bike, 
It was never lost on me that my girls didn't get a chance to get there. We were already engaged when she told me that she was pregnant. It was a girl. And that was two years ago. Now, I have two daughters again. Like I said, it's like I'm living my life all over again. Even though my second wife was so understanding and supportive, I try not to show how bad it gets sometimes. The sadness I feel for my old family. All the things that I'll get to see and do that they won't. It's not that I'm trying to keep it from her. It's just that I know she'll want to help. And I just don't think there's anything she can do to help. So, why trouble her with it? Sometimes, when life gets to be too much, the best thing you can do is wait for a time when the house is empty. Go up to the attic. Get out your dad's old records. You lay back on the floor and look up at the ceiling, letting yourself feel the whole weight of the time gone by and everything that's not coming back. And to stay there and just let the feelings come for however long you need until you don't feel it anymore. I told you, I feel like I've lived my life twice. And that means, in a certain way, I can see the future. Not the actual future, of course, but it's like I've been through the whole life cycle before. My daughter is three months old. During our first weekend in the new house, nothing was really unpacked yet. The furniture was in place, but the boxes were everywhere. I put our brand new little girl down for a nap, sitting by the window in the nursery, pushing the chair back and forth while she drifted away. I looked out the window and I thought about my dad. He would have been about the same age I am now, back when I was born. I thought about our old house in a small town about an hour from here. I thought about how these moments don't last. You don't get to keep them forever. I wondered if my dad back then was thinking the same thing that I'm thinking now. About how you don't get to be there for all of it. If you're lucky enough to live a long life, you get two families. There's one family that brings you up, and there's another one that's there with you at the end. And the one that brings you up, the one that's there with you at the start, they don't get to be there with you at the end. You have to say goodbye to them, and you have to make a new family for yourself. My little girl doesn't know it yet. Her world is still so small. But there will be a time when I'm a part of her past, we can only bring the people we love so far, and we have to miss the rest. I thought about my little girl, drifting away in my arms, completely unaware of the big, wide world around her. And I thought about her future, saw her whole life play out in front of me. I saw the city change and the wonders that she would see 
things that I don't even have the ability to imagine. And then, sometime around the turn of the next century, the little girl in my arms, now an old woman, at the end of a long, good life, closes her eyes and lays down to sleep. We settled in and unpacked slowly over the coming weeks, a few boxes at a time. And, as we did, even though this was still a rental house, it started to feel like it was ours. We left some things packed away. Our goal, of course, was to buy a home soon, so why unpack everything just to pack it all up again? It was during that time that we had our first really big fight. My fiancé works for one of the universities in town, and recently, one of her favorite co-workers took a job in Philadelphia, starting up a new program at a university there. And she called to offer my fiancé a job, a bigger school and better pay, not to mention she'd be able to work with her best friend again. The only problem? All of this was in Philadelphia. And I completely shit on it. I was a total asshole. Don't you think they'd rather hire from within the university? Do you really think you're ready for that kind of job? Imagine everything you could do wrong in that situation, and I did it. I made it completely about me. How could she consider something that would mean moving away from the cemetery where my first wife and my girls were. Even as I saw what was happening, what I was doing, I couldn't stop myself. I was in a total panic. And I destroyed what should have been a great day for my fiancé. We spent the rest of the night walking on eggshells around each other, only talking to the kids, not to each other. She went to bed early. I took the hint and sat up on the couch for the night. I laid awake for a long time, the streetlights coming in the big picture window. Not bright enough that I wanted to get up and do something about it, but too bright for me to fall asleep. But that wasn't what was keeping me awake. I knew the moment I'd been dreading had finally arrived. For the first time in our relationship, she was going to need me to choose. And she was right. I knew she was right. But I wasn't there yet. A couple hours before dawn, I came to accept that I wasn't going to sleep. I got up and took a shower, got dressed, and then two hours before the sun would come up, I drove to the cemetery where my first family was buried. The gate was closed and locked, but there's a road that runs along one of the edges of the cemetery. I can pull over on the side and park the car there. The wall is only about waist height, easy to jump. From there, it's a short walk to the gravesite. The cemetery closes at dark so there's no street lamps, just the dull glow of city lights reflecting off the clouds. 
It didn't matter that there were no lights. I knew the way. I've done this a lot. Come out here in the dead of night, when the city is quiet, or at least as quiet as it's gonna be. I found the grave marker, a big one for her and two small ones for the girls. I sat down and something in my soul just breathed for the first time in a long time. I didn't come out here to talk to them. I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't think they're looking down on me. They're just gone. Even so, something about being here, it's comfortable. It's like coming home. It's like I can remember them and it doesn't feel like a memory. It feels like I'm still there, like we're still together, like I'm still their dad. The difference between now and back then is that now I can see the future. When it comes to my new family, I know what's coming. Whether it's a year from now or 40 years, one of us is going to lose the other and our kids will have to put us in the ground. That's the best case scenario. The worst case? Well, I don't think I have it in me to do that again. From the cemetery I went to work, my phone was quiet. The usual updates and messages from my fiance were absent. Something kept me from being the one to break the silence. A stupid kind of pride, even though I knew I was wrong. But when I got home from work, I couldn't keep it up anymore. I explained what happened and why I reacted the way I did, and I apologized. I told her that I'd never imagined being that far from my kids, from their burial site, and I just panicked. And I was so sorry. She understood and things went back to normal. But before bed that night, she spoke up again. I know it's hard, but it would be a great opportunity for us. She told me that she was going to take the kids to her parents' house for the weekend. She was going to take a vacation day on Friday and she already had Monday off for the holiday. It would be a nice long weekend for the kids with their grandparents. These kinds of trips weren't unusual, but I always knew about them in advance. I knew what was really going on. Even though things seemed to be smoothed over for now, we hadn't actually landed on a decision. She needed some time alone to think about what she was going to do next to figure out whether Philadelphia was a deal-breaker. Thursday after work, she and the kids packed up and made the drive to their grandparents, a couple hours away. I said goodbye and saw them off as they disappeared down the street. And then, I waited for the text saying they'd made it safe and sound before I could relax and enjoy myself for the weekend. This weekend, I had a list of things to do around the house. 
A couple of them were surprises. A big swing from the tallest tree in the backyard for the girls, and four raised garden beds for my fiancé. She'd specifically talked about building a garden right behind the shed. We called it a shed because that's what we used it for, but it was really an old garage for a car. It was a separate structure behind the house, and the yard was L-shaped, with a patch that extended about 20 feet past the back of the garage. And that's where the raised beds would go. That first night, I decided to take it easy, have a nice night to myself. I ordered takeout and watched a movie. My fiancé texted me to let me know that they'd made it, and I let myself breathe a little bit. The sun went down and the house got dark. I went out back and had a beer on the patio. There was a nice breeze moving through the trees, and as the last light from the sunset fell below the horizon, I realized just how dark this yard can get, despite being in the city. A tall tree, the one where the swing would go, blocked out most of the light. A street light from the next block over, and a motion sensor light from the neighbors, were the only reason I could see anything. It made me a little uneasy. Not in any real way, just a little eerie, that's all. But then again, it always felt a little eerie and a little off when the rest of the family was away. I was thinking about calling in the next day, taking the day off too. There's no reason I couldn't have a long weekend. Besides, some alone time sounded pretty good. I sent a quick email to my boss and told him something had come up that I need to attend to tomorrow. I double-checked the latch on the fence and went inside. That night as I slept, I had a dream. I don't know where I was. It was outside. It was night. I was on my back on the ground. I was looking up at trees blowing in a silent wind and a dark sky behind them. My first wife was there with me. She was curled up next to me, her hand on my chest. She wore a summer dress, her favorite one. There was a sound like metal on metal. She looked different. You know how it is in dreams. You can understand who someone is even if they don't look quite right. She pulled her knee up to rest on my legs, her toes grazing along the length of my shins. I've had this dream before. It's a different place every time, but we always do the same thing. We do what we did the night before she left. I pulled her in tight and she lifts her chin so that her eyes meet and our lips graze across one another's. That little electricity when they barely meet. She pulls herself up on top of me. I can feel the insides of her thighs against my waist. I can hear my breathing, but it doesn't sound like me. Her hair is blowing in that silent wind, and she puts her weight down on me. I look around us for the first time, and I realize where we are. It's the cemetery. For the first time, I begin to feel uncomfortable, but she's rocking back and forth now, 
I turn back to her and she's inches from my face, her breath on my mouth. I hold her face in my hands just as I start to wake up, but not before. I looked over at my phone. It was 2.30 in the morning. I could hear the sound of wind outside. I got out of bed and changed, and then I went to the kitchen for a glass of water. These dreams always stick with me. They linger, and I feel guilty dreaming about another woman, but somehow, a little less than maybe I should. I leaned against the counter and watched the leaves and trees blowing outside. My neighbor's motion sensor light came on and lit up the backyard. I remembered learning about how when it's darker inside than outside, you can see out the window, but no one else can see in. Something about the backyard felt eerie, the way familiar places do at night. Maybe it was because it was my first night alone in a house that I wasn't completely familiar with yet. But a heavy gust blew in, and I heard the window frames creak and pop. Outside, there was a skittering, scraping sound, one of the patio chairs being blown around. There was something else, a kind of thumping sound that I couldn't place. An unwelcome thought intruded into my mind. Was it the gate? I was certain I'd closed and secured it before I came in last. Had someone come along while I was asleep and opened it? Was there someone in the backyard? The gate was just out of view from the kitchen window. I'd have to go out to check. I went to the bedroom and got dressed as quickly as I could and raced back into the kitchen. I paused again at the back door to see if I could still hear it. I did. I turned the knob and pushed my way out the door, fighting against the wind. Right away I could see the gate. It looked like it was still secured. A glance around the rest of the yard, and nothing. But I heard it again. It was coming from the shed. I walked over to get a closer look. It wasn't the pull-up garage door at the end of the driveway, and it wasn't the side door of the shed that led into the yard. I turned toward the back of the shed, the little section of yard where my fiancé's raised beds would go. As I crept along the side of the shed, I noticed that despite it being the brightest part of the yard during the day, it was the darkest part of the yard at night, the only place the neighbor's porch light didn't reach. I turned the corner, and nothing. The sound was gone, at least for now. Maybe it was a loose bit of roof, I don't know. But I felt silly for overreacting, for being out here at three in the morning. I started back to the house, trying to avoid the holes the dog had been digging around the shed. And then... The neighbor's motion sensor light went off. The backyard was plunged into darkness. My brave front was gone and I darted back to the house. 
I closed and locked the back door behind me as fast as I could. And now, safely inside, I laughed at myself. I got another glass of water and went back to bed. Having called into work, I took the opportunity to get started on those projects in the backyard. The swing was easier than I thought it would be. It only took about 20 minutes. I gave it a few test swings. Perfect. The raised beds would be another story. I pulled up the overhead door. Yikes. The inside was a mess. When we unloaded the rental truck, we just dumped everything in here and decided to deal with it later. There wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason to where everything ended up. New plan. I would organize the shed first, then get started on the garden beds. It took about an hour and a half to empty everything out into the driveway, and that's when I noticed it. The shed looked small. I went through the gate and into the backyard. It definitely looked longer on the outside than the inside. So, I paced off the inside of the shed, 19 paces, heel to toe. Then, I paced off the outside, 25 paces. I went back inside and noticed that the back wall, the cinder blocks, floor to ceiling, it looked newer than the rest. There was a false back on the shed. I looked around for any kind of access point, but there was nothing. No door, no gate, no window, on the inside or the outside. I remembered that thudding sound from the night before. Maybe there was something structurally wrong that required a new wall. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it was curious. I finished organizing the shed and spent the rest of the day on the raised beds with a long lunch and a nap in the middle of the day. My fiance and I texted throughout the day and we FaceTimed later on in the evening. She seemed a little distant, a little distracted. I tried not to read much into it. But maybe our fight had been a bigger deal to her than she'd let on. I mostly talked to the girls. After we said goodnight, I put on another movie. The wind had died down from the night before, but I could still hear chimes down the street and the occasional gust of wind rustling the leaves outside. I'd finished all the projects I'd had for the weekend on my first day. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with myself. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'd fallen asleep on the couch. The living room was dark. I could hear a distant rumbling of thunder, and I saw light flashing from behind the curtains in the windows. I got up to go back to the bedroom, but before I did, I went into the kitchen and got a glass of water. Just like the night before, I leaned against the kitchen counter and looked out the window into the backyard. A flash of lightning illuminated the yard. When it was gone, I noticed a little light. It was subtle, coming from around the edge of the shed door. 
I must have absentmindedly pulled on the string light earlier when I was working in the shed. Just then, another flash of lightning, and almost immediately, a roll of thunder. I heard the first smattering of big, heavy raindrops hitting the windows on the other side of the house. In the backyard, the limbs on the big tree were blowing hard. The swing was being pushed around by the wind, and a few stray leaves went flying. The yellow glow from around the door of the shed kept my attention. All at once, the sky opened up, and the rain came pounding down on the roof. The light in the shed could wait until morning. I was about to go to bed when something else caught my eye. Movement. Movement from behind the shed. Someone had stepped out from behind the old building. She was partially obscured by the pounding rain. She had dark hair, a white nightgown, and bare feet. She walked calmly, seemingly unbothered by the storm. Mud covered her feet and the bottom of her gown. My breath caught in my throat. I couldn't move. She followed along the side of the shed, walking toward the house. I remembered that thing I learned in school. If it's darker inside than it is outside, no one can see in. But nonetheless, I was terrified that she would know that I was there. I looked to the back door leading outside. I couldn't tell in the dim kitchen light whether or not the door was locked. I didn't dare move. She was mere steps from the back patio. When she turned, opened the gate, stepped into the driveway, and disappeared around the side of the house. I turned my head and watched the shape of her dripping wet hair move past the window on that side of the room. I snapped out of my paralysis and ran into the living room, just in time to watch her move past that window too. From the front of the house, I watched her take a few more steps to the bottom of the driveway, and then she made her way down the sidewalk and out of sight. My heart was pounding. I looked at the clock on my phone, a little after three in the morning. I eventually tried to lay down and go back to sleep, but I just stared up at the ceiling until dawn. You may think I'm overreacting, that nothing really happened, but there was something I couldn't shake. As that woman was walking along the side of the shed, she came to that door where you could see the light on inside. She paused for a moment and looked at the door as if she noticed that something was different. And then she turned and looked at the house. She looked right at the window where I was standing and a smile crept up the sides of her lips. A kind of determined smile, like she knew that she was being watched, and she wanted me to know it. Once I finally fell asleep, 
I slept through the entire morning. I woke up after noon with a few increasingly concerned texts from my fiance. I made an excuse. I wasn't ready to tell her what I'd seen the night before. The gate from the driveway into the backyard was standing wide open. Confirmation that it hadn't been a dream. I turned to the shed and remembered the light on inside. I pulled open the door and pulled the chain. I went around the back of the shed where I'd seen her emerge just as the rain started pouring the night before. Nothing out of place. No sign that anyone had been there. There were no footprints in the mud, but the rain was coming down so hard that it probably eroded them away within minutes. Either way, she was gone for now. As the day went on, the memory of the woman behind the shed faded from my mind. The sun began to fall in the sky, the dust and humidity catching shoots of light between the leaves. A haze was growing in the distance. I watched the dog sniffing around the shed. He'd been digging holes all over that side of the yard but at least he hadn't shown much interest in the raised beds I'd built the day before. My mind wandered for a little while. I put my feet up. It was a pleasant night. When the air started to get cool, I went inside for the night. Now that the sun was down and the neighborhood was getting quiet, my mind wandered back to that woman behind the shed. I tried not to look down the hall. A part of me expected to see her standing there at the end, the white nightgown soaked and muddy at the bottom, dripping rainwater on the hardwood floor. But, of course she wasn't there. I let the dog out one more time before bed. When I called him back to the house a few minutes later, he had something in his mouth. I wrestled it away from him and gave it a look. It was... I think, a bone. Not a chicken bone, or even a cat, possum, or raccoon. It looked like a pelvic bone. It looked human. As much as I know what a human bone would look like. It didn't look big enough to be an adult. I felt my adrenaline start flowing. I sent a photo to my fiancé and she agreed. It was unsettling. I used the flashlight on my phone to look around the backyard, trying to figure out where the dog had found it. Were there more bones? While I was considering this, my fiance sent another message. She posted the photo to a Reddit forum that helps you identify things. It looks like it's a pig, she wrote. A pig? Why the hell would a pig be buried in our backyard? in the city. It wasn't always the city, she wrote back. She had a point. There's no telling how old it was. I was just relieved to know that it wasn't human. I slept with the light on that night. I normally enjoy a little time alone when my fiance and the girls are gone. Of course I miss them, but it's nice to have a little break but I didn't like being alone in this house. I checked the locks again before laying down, but I couldn't help but think about who or what 
might wander into the backyard overnight. After laying awake for a long time and having not slept the night before, sometime after midnight, my body gave in to the exhaustion and I fell asleep. Here's the thing that people don't understand about grief. It's a low-grade static, constantly present, all the time. I haven't told my fiancé this, but I'm constantly having imaginary conversations with my wife. Not when we're together, but on my way to work, when I walk the dog, when I'm alone. I have imaginary bonding moments with my kids. I do it all the time. That Saturday afternoon, I took a walk around the neighborhood, and when no one else was in earshot, I started talking out loud. To my wife, to no one. I pretended that we were moving into the neighborhood, my old family, me, my wife, and the girls, that it was six years ago, back when we still thought we had more tomorrows than yesterdays. Those thoughts led me back to the fight that I'd had with my fiance. She still had a job offer in Philadelphia. She was away at her parents, probably trying to decide whether I was really over my first family, really ready to commit to our new one. And she was right. I think that there's another reason that I feel like I have to stay here. It's these imaginary conversations with my first wife. It's all the little bonding moments with the girls that I concoct in my mind because we didn't get them in real life. As long as I'm still here, in the place where we lived our lives together, a part of me can believe that it's not really real, that I'll turn a corner and there they'll be. I can imagine that I can have it both ways. I can still believe my old family is coming home even while I make a life with my new one. As long as I'm here, I don't have to choose. But when it comes to my new family, to my fiance, I think that if I don't make that choice, she's gonna make it for me. When I got home, I let the dog out back. As the weather warmed up, she liked to spend as much time in the yard as possible. I settled in on the couch and scrolled through Netflix until I found a movie. It didn't take long until I heard a clattering sound out back. The dog getting into something in the backyard, no doubt. I ignored it and finished my movie. And when I was done, I went to the back door to let the dog in. And that's when I saw it. More bones. A whole pile of them. Pelvic bones. Long bones. Ribs still connected to a sternum. She'd been digging up bones and piling them by the back door. What the fuck was buried in my yard? I got a flashlight. A real one this time. And I marched out into the backyard looking for the source of the bones. Not sure what I was going to find. The night had settled in and the wind was blowing. 
rustling the leaves in the trees, and the neighbor's motion sensor light was on. But I couldn't see anything out of place. Until I spotted the base of the shed. There was a hole right up against the wall, and it was deep. There was another one near the back corner. I looked in, and there it was. The skeletal remains of some kind of animal. Probably a pig, just like my fiancé said. I took a photo and sent it to her. All I could think to type was, what the fuck? I looked at the other hole near the back corner. It was the same thing. The dog had been picking them clean and gathering them up. There was another one behind the shed and two more on the other side. Five holes in total. Each one had some kind of animal buried underneath. These weren't family pets. This was something else. All at once, it hit me. Five points, arranged in a particular layout. It was a pentagram. We had a pentagram with dead animals buried at each point of the star. And for some reason, it was under our shed. The dog had almost completely cleared out the hole in the back corner of the shed. It was also the deepest. You could almost see underneath the wall. I got down on the ground, and yeah, the dog had dug her way under the shed. I couldn't see anything from where I was, but I opened up the camera app on my phone, and I started filming a video. I didn't like the idea of putting my hand underneath that wall, of not knowing what was on the other side, but my curiosity and my rational mind, the part of me that didn't believe in ghosts or demons in heaven or hell, that part of me had to know if there was something back there. Because of the angle, I couldn't see the screen as I arced my arm under the shed wall and blindly panned the phone around inside, moving it slowly from one side to the other. And when I pulled the phone back out, I watched the video. It was dark except for where the flashlight was pointing. I don't know what I was expecting, but it looked empty. A couple of garden tools and an old storage tote. That was it. Nothing menacing. Nothing satanic. The neighbor's motion light went out. The wind was still blowing hard. I pulled open the garage door on the front of the shed and pulled the string light to turn it on. I stared at that back wall for a long time, studying it, looking for patterns in the cinder blocks. I checked out all the edges, looking for something that I missed. There was no way to get in from the outside. I remembered all of a sudden that pentagrams are signs of protection. They're supposed to seal something out or to seal something in. I don't think that someone buried five pigs in the yard to keep something out of the secret room behind this wall. No. I think someone put them there to keep something in. And I don't know what that could be. And to be clear, I don't believe in any of this. But I was going to find out. 
Even as I stood there, studying that wall, I had the unmistakable feeling that someone was behind me, watching me. I imagined the woman in the nightgown standing there, just outside, a nefarious grin curling up at the corners of her mouth, growing a bit too wide, stretching a little bit too far. I spun around, and there was nothing. My fiancé wrote back, What the fuck is that? I asked if she had time for a call. We talked for a long time, and I told her what had been happening since she and the girls left. The general feeling of uneasiness. The woman in the nightgown. The bones. The pentagram. She didn't say anything right away, but then she asked if I was okay. Do you need us to come home? She asked. I told her no, it was okay. Finish the rest of the trip and I'd see them Monday night. It was just two more days. But if I'm honest, I didn't mean it. I wanted them to come home more than anything. I wanted to call the police and tell them that there might be something bad in that back room. But it could just as easily be kids fucking around in the yard while the house was empty, trying to scare the next people that moved in. And if that's the case, it was working. But there was something else that I couldn't shake. I wondered, what was in that storage tote? The one sealed off in that secret room. It was a big rectangular container, heavy plastic, with a solid lid. I couldn't help but think that it was big enough for a body. I mulled over the idea for a long time. The footage I'd taken on the camera wasn't great. I decided to try again, to see if I could get a better look under that wall. The wind had picked up again, and the air was getting cold. I got down on the ground by the hole at the back of the shed and I put my phone under the wall, back into that secret room. I panned the phone around for a long time, letting the camera settings adjust to the light, and when I pulled the phone back out and I watched the footage, there was a dirt floor, garden tools, and then there was that storage tote, black with a yellow lid. I paused the video and took a good look, There didn't seem like there was anything to see. I don't know why I thought there would be. I almost didn't watch the rest of the video, but I did. As I watched the phone turn flat so that I could pull it back out, for the briefest moment, the phone was looking straight up at the ceiling and looking back down at me was the woman in the nightgown. Her eyes were wide. Her smile was turned up just a little bit too big and just a little bit too long. I scrambled backwards, away from the shed. I heard that thumping sound that I'd heard the first night. 
I got to my feet and I ran into the house. I grabbed my car keys and my wallet and I booked it out the front door. I drove to a hotel with only the clothes on my back. I planned to stay the night far away from that house. Far away from that shed. What I had seen was impossible. There was no way in or out of that secret room. How could she get in there? How had I seen her walk around the side of the house on the night of the storm? I know that she can't be real. Not just because it's impossible for her to get in and out of that room. Not just because a human smile doesn't stretch that wide. I know that she can't be real because I'm on the third floor of this hotel and I can't sleep. Because she's standing outside my window. The next morning I woke up to a text from my fiance. She said that they were coming home. I told her that she should stay, but she knew that something was wrong. And she was coming home to me. And that's the moment that I made up my mind. I checked out of that hotel and I drove home. I was feeling more brave in the light of day. I walked into the house and it was still. Nothing moved. Nothing out of place. I left in such a hurry that the back door was still standing wide open from the night before. On the counter was that envelope with the job offer, the one in Philadelphia. It sat there open all weekend, right where it had been left after our fight. I can see the future. I can see how all this will play out right in front of me. We find a place where we can stay for a few days, somewhere away from whatever was between the walls of that shed. We pack up and we drive away from this house, away from this town. And I'm gonna miss my first wife and my two kids. I'm always going to miss them. That'll never go away. I thought about us stopping by the cemetery one more time on the way out of town to say goodbye to my wife and my girls. But I don't think I'm going to. That's not where they are. They're gone. And they're not coming back. I've seen the future. And there are no do-overs. There are no second chances. There is nothing after this. There is only right now. Nothing lasts forever, and you can't try to make it last forever. But you can try to make it worth the heartache at the end. So I'm going to do whatever it takes not to lose this before it's time. So, there's something I have to do before they get home. When our dog dug up those bones from around the shed, when she disrupted the five points of that pentagram, I think that she let that thing in the shed out in a way that it couldn't get out before. I know that because I went out to the shed and opened that big overhead door. And when I look at the back of the house... 
I can see her standing inside the back door, looking out at me, as still as stone. That terrible smile on her face. I started the lawnmower and I let it run for a long time, until the engine was good and hot. This needed to look like an accident. The whole time she just stood inside that back door, watching. I turned around and grabbed a gas can. I put as much flammable material around that lawnmower as I could. I needed the shed to burn fast before help could arrive and put it out. I need to destroy whatever is behind that cinder block wall. If I hadn't turned my back to the house, I would have seen the woman in the white nightgown with the dark hair and the muddy feet. I would have seen her come out of the house and start toward me. I didn't know that she was right behind me when I dumped gasoline on the lawnmower's hot engine. The whoosh of gasoline catching as it hit the hot metal obscured the sound. The sound of the shed door falling. for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's story was I Can See the Future, written and narrated by me, Ian Epperson. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Caleb Ritchie, with assistance from Bridget Howard and Brooke Janat. Our producer-level patrons are Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Wiley Caudell, Paul Doyle, and Anton Madison. Thank you so much for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. We're trying to beef up that social media activity, so seriously, come say hi. We'll have links in the show notes. You'll also find a link to Someone Dies in This Elevator in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes. Bridget Howard is lurking behind your shed. Thanks for listening. See you next month. Thank you.